0: Okay, Tamarindos, this is my, my second interview, part two, of featuring Amazing Mujeres for Women's History Month. I'm really excited that I have uh, Nora Vargas joining me right now. She's the Vice President of Community and Government Relations at Plant Parenthood for the Pacific Southwest, and also she's a Governor Brown appointee on the California State Teachers Retirement System. So thank you, Nora, for spending some time to, to join with us today at the Tamarindo Podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really, really well, and I'm so excited to uh, be joining you today and um, looking forward to
0: our conversation. Great, great. I know you're in San Diego, and we appreciate you taking the time for for the call. So I wanted to ask you, um, how has your experience, this is women's history Month, so and your experience as a woman and as a Latina, how has that shaped your personal accomplishments?
1: So, I guess um, I would respond to it a little bit. Um, Bigger, and broader than uh, Women's Month, in that I'm the oldest of four um, in my family, and I grew up in Tijuana. And but I grew up with parents who were um, uh, really, really always emphasizing how important it was for us to go to school and travel and see the world and and try to make an impact. And so uh, I think my three sisters, my two sisters and I, and my brother, I think we're very fortunate to have feminist parents. And um, as Latinas, I think we were very fortunate. So, as an oldest daughter, I always felt like I had this sort of um, responsibility to do right by my my brothers, my sisters, and my brother, as well as my community. And so, I I think for me, taking the time to really, you know, step back on Women's History Month and just really have a space to be able to say, you know. So much going now and we've done well. Yes. I think is so amazing, and it also is, I think, the time for us to reflect on, um, in particular, because of this political environment, on all the the opportunities uh, that I think are still before us, and um, and really where do we fit into this bigger picture, and how do we make sure we make a good impact in not only our communities but also um, globally um, as citizens.
0: That's great. That's great. And thank you for sharing a little bit about your, your background. So um so you grew up in Tijuana. Did you go to school in on um, the state side or did you did you and your family immigrate a little
1: later? So, you know, I always um I love telling people this story because the world when I grew up was a little bit different, right? I'm forty-five years old. Um I was born in nineteen seventy one and I always share with folks that I was born on October 14th. And by October 16th, because I've actually seen the document, my mom ha- my mom uh, was a green card holder or a resident alien, as they are called in that little thing that they give you, the pass- passport. Mm-hmm. And so my mom took me just to um, to the border, and she signed me up, and so I became automatically a legal resident of the United States. And so I uh, I'm very proud to have had a mom who had a vision and an understanding of what it meant to have access and opportunity. so you know when you grow up in the san diego tijuana border region you become it's a very sort of different perspective when you have that luxury of going back and forth and i was very privileged to be able to have that luxury of going back and forth and you know without minimizing the challenges that we're dealing with today i would i always you know tell folks that when i was growing up we my mom liked uh, the fact that American milk lasted longer and so we would come across the border to buy milk and to buy mayonnaise and mm-hmm. things that she mm-hmm. that she liked because it was um it was um something that we could do and so you know I grew up on both sides. My my primos and my primas lived in Santana and Los Angeles and like and all these other places. So for me it was always like really cool to go to California and uh hang out over the summer and things like that. So I ended up not transferring to school here until I went to Montgomery High School in high school, and so I did high school um, in San Diego. I uh, went to community college here in San Diego at Southwestern College, which actually is where where I serve now on the community college board. Um, I got elected in twenty thirteen and then uh, reelected in twenty fourteen, and um, so it's really it's, it was really awesome. But I have to tell you that I was actually. In a space where um, I applied to law school in Mexico as well, and I had wow. to make a decision whether I was going to stay in Mexico or transfer to the University of San Francisco, but I, I actually got accepted to to school in the Universidad Autónoma de Baja California, mm-hmm. and I made a choice that I wanted to uh, stay in the States, and I went to the University of San Francisco, but... You know, being a regional child is a very interesting and amazing opportunity, and I think it gives you a different perspective and a lens of our community. And again, I feel very privileged that my sisters, um, my brother, and I all had the opportunity to go back and forth and um, to continue to really thrive on both sides of the border.
0: Yeah, no, and then I appreciate hear, hearing that story because I, it's a really, uh, it's a whole different experience. The the whole uh, the border growing back and forth, and I have quite a few friends that grew up that way, and it's just a really neat way to be. I think be very bicultural, and um, and the, you know borders vanish. So I think it's a it's a beautiful experience that many people have the privilege of experiencing. Of course, some some do not, but I think it's it's definitely. Um, an exciting community to be able to go back and forth and, and experience things and me as a um i have only recently been able to enjoy um, hanging out in the uh in the san Di- in the san diego and tijuana border and that, that those areas and i really enjoyed it so i think it's a, it's a lot of fun i only you, became... should,
1: um, you you and all your listeners should come because there's a whole new you know, boom around, you know, wine and and delicious food. It's like uh, the Renaissance. Organic food, you know, like the table to, farm to table. Yeah. And uh, the Valle de Guadalupe and Tijuana with the craft beer. So, you know, I'll just plug it in as a regional person that the San Diego-Tijuana border region is an amazing, amazing community full of, you know, really wonderful people who, um, are are always welcoming. We are the most visited um, community,
0: you know? We love plugging that community. (laughs) So um, you've been involved in in a lot of what people might say controversial places, like Planned Parenthood, involved in politics, getting people elected, former um, executive director of the Latino Issues Forum. Um, Why are you... In like diving into these issues why has that attract been a, like an attractive thing for you in your career politics and being right in the middle of it
1: so it's interesting that you that you asked me that question you know the day before yesterday I uh, because I served as an elected official one of the things that I brought is you know we're gonna our community our community, our community college board is going to join the amicus free for San Francisco um, to ensure that um you know we, we stand against the Trump um, executive order and, and protect our students. And, and you know, and somebody said to me, you know, well, don't you have aspirations to do other things in elected office? Why are you doing this? And, uh, you know, am I hurt you politically? And I said, you know, what's the point of having that privilege of being an elected official, being a grassroots leader, community leader, uh, if you're not going to stand for something that you care about? And I rather do the right thing, you know, stand strong for my values and, and really be a voice for my community Then, kind of just sit back and hope that I get elected to other things, because that's not why I do this work. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you know, I go back to my parents. I grew up in a family where my parents really believed that we should make an impact in our communities and and that whatever we did, we needed to be the best at it. And And by that, I mean, it wasn't about the financial piece. It was more about What are you going to do and what is going to be your legacy to do good things in the community? And I really feel very, very privileged uh, in the sense – and it's been hard. I'm not going to say that it hasn't been hard to be, you know, the first Latina executive for Planned Parenthood in Orange County, the first Latina executive, uh, you know, at Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest, which is at San Diego and Riverside County. I was the first director of the Office of Immigrant Affairs in the City of Los Angeles. You know, um, I mean, I, can, I was the first Latina you know, appointed to CalSTRS, which is the Teacher Retirement Board. We are two hundred and you know, billion dollars, and, um, and you know, we serve seventy percent of women of color. So, I've been very, very uh, fortunate. But it, I really believe that, you know, if you're going to sit at the table, you need to make sure that you um, there's a purpose for that. And um, and I couldn't imma- I can't imagine doing anything else other than being a voice. Uh, for folks that may not have that access and it really comes down to it because it's the right thing to do you know and i have to say um a couple weeks ago somebody said hey there's a great job as a vice president for some corporation to do this or that and and it was a really cool job and you get you know a lot more money a lot more all sorts of other things and i really thought about it for a little bit because working for fun parenthood right now i mean you know, we are under attack. There's mm-hmm. a lot of challenges, you know, being on the community college board. You know, education is being attacked. Yeah. Health care is being attacked. And I thought, you know, maybe I should, you know, just go and have a job where i wouldn't like, you know, selling, selling widgets or advocating. I we mean, have the widgets. But, you know, the more I thought about it, it's not who I am. Um, I've been advocating since I was a really young person. I was, a, I was not a U.S. citizen until I think it was um, – Later in in 2000 when I you know let's see late 1990s when I worked for a member of Congress that I became a citizen but you know for me it has always been about like what can we do to advance our communities uh, and how do we do this work and I think it goes back to the sort of what it what it means to be a woman um, what it means to be a Latina in this country and and the opportunities that come with it. And um, I can tell you a little bit more about why I became, why I'm proud to call myself a feminist later, if you like. But, please, please uh, tell us. I'm
0: sorry? Yes, please tell us.
1: Oh, so, you know, um, again, I grew up, my parents were always strong advocates, and they always wanted to make sure that we, you know, whatever we did, we, we, we were the best at it. And my mom and dad said, you know, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, I always joke about how when I was nine years old, I told everybody that I was, I told my mom, I I want to be a congresswoman. And I didn't understand what that meant. I don't know that I understood what it meant. I just was exposed to that. So I just assumed that that's a way for me to make change. And, you know, fast forward, I worked on um, all sorts of different... I did all sorts of different things. But I, when I went away to college at the University of San Francisco, which is my alma mater, my undergraduate work, um, I was in a feminist theory class. And I actually... Um, it's amazing how the world, uh, you know, sort of is so interesting Yesterday I went on a um i went as a governing board member to listen to Angela Davis, who is a wow. feminist you know um uh, author and activist and, and a faculty member and um she was talking about this and she was the first woman I think that I ever read who was a woman of color african american that I began to better understand sort of some of the challenges that we were facing as women of color within a feminist movement and it was really interesting because um, I was seeing, you know, I was probably about 20 years old in my undergraduate course on feminist theory. And I said to me, uh, my professor was an amazing professor from Stanford and, you know, very well-renowned, did a lot of work around issues, And I said to her, you know, I don't understand how I can talk about choice and how I can talk about freedom and rights. To an indigenous woman in Central America, you know, mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. you know, she's should out of her by her husband, and the system is a patriarchal system that doesn't, um, you know, encourage her to to kind of leave him because there is no there are no shelters, and you know, I'm talking about you know early 1990s, right? Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I don't understand, like, how do you want me to go to talk to these women and, and say to them, you have a right to leave that man, and he shouldn't be abusing you when there is no infrastructure to support her and move her forward and so yeah. what I didn't understand is what I was asking is where do we fit in as women of color in the feminist movement? And mm-hmm. so um I began to do a lot more research and and explore that that sort of field and that's how I fell in love with this concept of reproductive justice and really looking at um at women as in a holistic perspective who come you know, they come to the table with so many other Things, especially women of color and in Latin America, women who may not have access, um, you know, like many of the freedoms that women have in the United States, including women of color. So uh, it really sort of for me set the groundwork to better understand what this meant. And then I kind of fell into politics because that's when the Year of the Woman was happening. That's when mm-hmm. Senator Boxer mm-hmm. and Senator Feinstein first got elected, and so I started, you know, volunteering and. We did the first women's conference at the University of San Francisco and uh, Nancy Pelosi was our speaker back then She, you know, she had just become a congresswoman. And so I've had this really amazing sort of history, twenty years of twenty plus years of really, you know, being engaged in something that was new and it's been really tough sometimes, but I think I came to a realization at one point that, you know, part of what I was doing was shifting the paradigm for mujeres across, you know, not only my local community, but across California and the nation. And to me, that was really, really, really powerful. And so um, I think it goes back to answering also your other question around, like, you know, how do you live life with purpose? And I think that early on, I mean, now that I've read all these books and I know all this stuff, I think. You know, I, we talk about authentic leadership and living life with purpose and all these other different things. But back then, I didn't know what it was. It was just really sort of, you know, I didn't have, I didn't know what to call it theoretically based on leadership skills and all of that. But I think back then to me, it was, you know, what my parents taught me, you know, you, you help other people, you move an agenda forward when you know that you can actually have an impact. And so um, it's been a really cool opportunity to be at the table and to be a voice. And now that I, you know, I say to folks, now I'm wiser because I'm, uh, I think age, with age comes, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and I'm still always learning and and I'm fascinated by, by like sort of where things are right now in the world and how women fit into this process and some days are better than others because sometimes I'm like, oh my God, we're still playing the same fight. I but know, other than right? Like, wow, it's so cool, you know?
0: In light of everything, you, in everything you just shared, and, and and how you've you've been, you've kind of grown up in this in this uh, energy to get more women elected, and and all, all of this that you've mentioned, and working with Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton twenty years ago, and the, and the year of the woman when there was more women elected to Congress, in, with all that, in light of all that, um, how did you feel this November and? Do you, is, What are you hopeful for as it, as it relates to women in politics?
1: Oh, my God, it broke my heart. Um, so I worked, um, you know, I volunteered for Secretary Clinton when, when she worked. She ran the first time, and then this time around, I was part of the Latinx for Hillary campaign nationally and locally, and I raised money, and I worked on and did all sorts of stuff. Um, and then... You know, I was just really disheartened and disappointed because I took it really personal and about like so. You know, how do how do women end up voting for somebody knowing that their rights are going to be taken away? And and I have to tell you that this morning, um, because I am a vice president of Paramount who oversees all of the political work, I get to be exposed to a lot of different things. And today, the Barbara Lee Foundation, with some top-notch consultants, did some research around you know, where, how do people feel about women when they're single, have no children, women who run to office, who are, who are, um, you know, married with kids? And what do people think about, what are their attitudes towards them? What happens when, you know, you are a woman of color or you're a woman who is LGBT and has family? Like, what are people's attitudes, voters' attitudes towards that? And and the data wasn't that really great. You know, the data says, you know, well, you know, I don't know how I feel about a woman who's single and doesn't have kids. And that's that's me, right? I fit into that category. <laughs> They're like, we don't know if we can trust her to really be an advocate for, for communities. And um, oh we don't know about, you know, all this data that's really like, to me, it's like, how is this happening in 2017? But you know, after I processed it, and you know the loss of of Secretary Clinton, and having a person um, in the White House who deliberately is doing everything in his power to just uh, intentionally, I guess, is doing everything in his power to take us back in time, and to have a Vice President like Pence who has these really antiquated ideas of who we are as human beings, either, you know, because of your gender preference and or because you happen to be a woman. Uh, To me, for a long time, I was really angry, but now I'm kind of like hopeful that it'll wake up people um, to really see that we're still a country that's evolving and that there's a great opportunity for us to take back our communities. And, you know, I'm an organizer at heart. That's where I come from. And I really believe in organizing and putting pressure and holding members accountable. And, you know, I am an elected official. I have run a lot of campaigns, have helped a lot of people run campaigns. And I still say to people, you know, every vote counts. First campaign I ever won, I we won by 13 votes. and We got the first Latina elected to the uh, assembly here in San Diego. And that's about 20-something years ago. right? And so for me, it's like, you know, I believe, I believe that America is great and I do believe that we have a lot to do, like to grow and to change still. But the truth is, is that if you really think about, you know, the number of immigrants that are here who've done so many things and how people are outreach and they go to um, – to, uh, you know, the airport, and people are marching, and then, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, you know, all this is happening, but a lot of people didn't go out and vote in the recent election in Los Angeles, and I said, the truth is, I think that as elected officials and as candidates, I think it's our job to get people excited about process Mm -hmm. and systems, and I think sometimes we get caught up in this stuff, and I think we got to get out of our own way, and you know, and get people excited and and, and remind them why government does work for them and why this is all so important. And I think sometimes as elected officials, we get complacent and we're like, you know, it gets hard and we're doing too many things or whatever. And so I think that uh, this is a great opportunity for a shift in our country for us to take back um, all those positions and even within the parties, right, Mm -hmm. Republican and Democrat, to say, wait a second, Status quo doesn't work anymore because people are hungry, people need better jobs, people really are in places where, you know, my community college students, at the college, I mean, we have people who are homeless, we have people who don't have access to food, we're failing them, the system is failing them, and those are the folks that I think, you know, said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for change, even that, if that change is hatred and horrible, I don't know that people really believe that it would be that this bad, you know, so... I'm hopeful, I guess, um, in this craziness, um, because I really do believe that humans in the end are good people, and that uh, I believe, and I think it could be that I grew up in Mexico and i and I studied so much about Latin America and you know sort of systems and how they didn't work. I do believe that we have a chance to really change um, the system here in the states. and when somebody like me and I mean this from a really good space, When an immigrant from Tijuana can grow up, you know, as an immigrant, work for – I mean, I was a resident alien when I worked for the local congressman. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up working for the president of the United States. You know, I worked for President Clinton. And then I – you know, and I didn't didn't make any donations. My parents didn't make any donations. I just worked my ass off. And I worked on campaigns and, you know, all sorts of things that people always tell me. Oh, my God, you do so much. Well, I do all that because it's how I – Feel like I can open doors, you know, to be able to get to the table and be an advocate. And so, you know, if that can happen, um I want that to happen for other people. So I, I think this is a country that actually does have a lot of opportunities. It's not perfect, but I really do believe that there's a space. And I think as women, we bring something to the table that is very different. And I think as Latinas. You know, um, our voices are so important because we have so many different perspectives, and and our journeys are so different that I think that we can better understand and be better advocates than others.
0: Thank you so much, Nora. I think those are all very, very inspirational things. That even though in the dark darkest time of our most recent history, um, it's really what will how we'll come out of it and how it'll fire people up to get really be vigilant and to make a change. So I, I, I appreciate those words. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of our of our conversation where we ask um, the, the same three questions that we ask all of our guests. It's been really great to, to get to know a little bit more about you, and we'll put uh, more information about you in, in our show notes so folks can know all of your many hats that you've worn. <laughs> I'd love to know if you had a virtual Chancla, a shoe that you can throw at a person place thing concept, who would get your chancla?
1: Oh my God, those 51% of women who voted
0: for Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, una chancla with a tacon.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> okay, great. And then we, we, you know, we're we we're know the Tamarito Podcast. We have a lot of Latino listeners, and one of the things that, that uh, Latinos do really well is we have some amazing snacks. <laughs> we have amazing snack games. So what is your your go-to comfort snack? Oh, my God.
1: Churritos con limón y chile. Oh my, they, like, are my favorite. Mm,
0: <laughs> that just made my mouth water. <laughs> and you
1: know what? It reminds me of when I was in elementary school. I think that's what it is. So I love them. I, I love, love Churritos it. con chile in the morning.
0: Oh, my God. Those are so good. Okay, and then lastly... If you had a telenovela, it could be about your life, or maybe it's your telenovela name, what would it be?
1: Um, so I think my telenovela would be Las Guerrilleras, A Revolution from Within. Oh, my God, um, I love and it. And it would have to be in English and Spanish, because I would have to be in Spanish, because I speak Spanish all the time So I would be totally a Spanish telenovela. And oh so it's God. a play on words with Gloria um, Steinem's book, Revolution from Within. But I love it. Really it. Please write this, mm-hmm. write this
0: book. Write this book. Uh great book it sounds (laughs) great it sounds amazing well thank you so much Nora this was really fun Um, I really appreciate you jumping on on Tamanindo podcast and we'll be following all the great things that you do and um, thank you again for giving us a piece of all the accomplishments that you've had and just giving us a little bit about your story and it's really empowering and and great to hear, especially how much your your family has influenced. And I want to, we usually, I don't have it with me, but usually we play a matraca when we want to give props. So I'm giving, Uh I'm giving a matraca to the feminist men in your life because it's amazing like that you had that family background and obviously they've done great in inspiring you and your leadership. So thank you so much, Nora. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.